welcome back to the podcast. For a second, it looked like you were uh, setting up to read a... Yes? Quote. A quote. Oh, from my <laughs> phone? to set the ambiance. But then I realized you're just using your phone, your phone for your notes, which is really smart. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. The Sacrifice. The Sacrifice. Um, kind of a, a cutting chapter title for the for the time that we're releasing this episode around most people's holiday season. Right. It's a little <laughs> doom and gloom here. <laughs> Things aren't good. Things aren't fun. A little creepy. But a little bit of some of those snowy vibes. A lot of snow. You know? A lot of snow. I was thinking that too. I was like, this is a, a timely sort of episode for the podcast right now. We've reached the section of the reading order where... The elements of winter are starting to really pile on in the narrative, and that was that was one of the fun parts of putting together Feast with Dragons in the first place. When we were starting to uh, prep for this episode, you were like, "Is it the Griffin Reborn?" And I was like, "No, we already did that oh, yeah. one." And part of that reason, not only in the chronology, but the rest of the stories, um, or sorry, with the rest of the the narratives, the point of views, but also the weather had a lot to do with it as well. Right, because yeah. we look at like as this as we're seeing this storm continue to progress a little bit south. Why do we call it a storm though? You know, it's just winter. And I remember there was a point in this chapter where I forget the character was like, "We should we should huddle here until the storm passes." And it's like, well, I don't think that this is going to pass. You guys know in Westeros that winter lasts or seasons rather last weirdly long times. Is that the point that we're at though? Like, is winter here? Or is this just like one of those pre-winter, winter is coming type of situations? Two things I think that are clues. The epilogue of this book mm-hmm. and the fact that the next book is called The Winds of Winter. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, cracking open soda. This is a uh, sunk is zero. Just want to wish everyone a happy holiday. I'm, I'm feeling it. We were recording yours. this a few days before this is out, but I still feel it. Got still, a little bit of the holiday cheer. Enjoying one of your gifts. Have to uh, have to offset the contents of the chapter a little bit. The chapter was really dark. Really dark. So we're recording this together. <laughs> Imagine so we, festive music. Ding, 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 And then all of this happening. Well, we're recording this. We read the chapter in the same place, recording this in the same place. We got like all the cute holiday vibes, holiday decorations up. And we're just sitting on the couch reading about cannibalism and sacrifice, how, sacrifice and the descriptions of ball hair like lighting first and then the rest of the yeah. whole assembly all this terrible thing and you and me <laughs> we just keep like gasping at different points in the narrative along the way because i want to ask you about that sorry go you go on well i was just say because you know obviously we've read this story many times but there's so many small little moments and things like this chapter that kind of made me gasp and, like, take my breath away almost, especially as we're thinking about Asha's description of everything that's happening, and she's seen some stuff. Like, we think about the Iron Islands as a place that's dark and grim and a lot of grit and a lot of... um, Cruelty. Cruelty. And even for her, what's happening here is... And you're a seasoned reader of A Song of Ice and Fire, so you're no stranger to cruelty either. Sure, sure, sure. But still, and you already knew what happened in this chapter. And you already know what happens around this whole Stannis plotline at the Crofters Village and all the stuff that's going down inside of Winterfell too. And still, because of the sort of literary prowess that George has of, of building it and building it and waiting to get to the point to start talking about how this dude's, like I said, balls and the rest of his assembly lights on fire. 
It's just the way that he says it, right? He doesn't get you because it gets me. That's why I, I gasp because it's like, okay. There's a line that we need to read that's Patience. like, he, he describes when the four cannibals, I guess you could say, yeah. <laughs> the four men are caught fire in the blaze and it goes from um, log to leg. The flame oh, jumps like a maiden. From, yeah, like a maiden. Shy like a maiden at first and then all at once. Yeah, I thought that was pretty incredible. So Yeah, that was cool. Definitely a creepy chapter. So creepy and a lot set up. We've uh, been talking about this place for a while because we've been on the inside of Winterfell, but we've also spent some time uh, last year on the Winds of Winter sample chapters mm-hmm. and uh, learned what happened to Arnoff and his men and theorized about Blood Raven or Bran and talked about Stannis doing stuff and about Theon and the plan. We talked about the war plan and the potential strategies. And so here we get a, a view of the the lake and how it's being overfished and it's being dotted with all these holes, which is going to weaken it for some kind of plan for men to walk across it or to, to be chased across it right. or some kind of some kind of thing that would have been cool to see adapted. And then eventually everyone crashes through and then there's some of the people that we were fighting dead, but maybe not all of them. Starts out really sad, weird, and uh, a glimmer of hope at the end, plus Theon, which... I think it's so cool. It was like a double reveal. It's exciting every yeah. single time to have two Greyjoys finally reunited after everything that they've been through. Yeah. Yeah. I like Greyjoys. Something I want to see Victorian and uh, and Euron reunited after all that <laughs> yeah, they've been yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think that's going to be a little bit of a different reunion oh, than for sure. this one here. <laughs> I, would, I just want to see Vic come back with his hand at this point. Right. I'm, I'm fine with it now. Right. Dragonbinder aside, budding friendship with Barry and um, Grey Worm and Vic, I think, would be a really good duo seeing them foil off of each other just one's outspoken but also wants to be quiet one's quiet but maybe a part of gray wants to be outspoken maybe it's been quieted by all that he's gone through and i just thought that'd be a a good mix they balance each other they could i think that they'd probably be fun to watch fight and gray would be like how'd you get that hand (laughs) vic would be like let me tell you how it happened (laughs) before we get to the chapter though we need to talk about this house of the dragon news you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> There's been so much House of the Dragon news over the last couple of days. Want to give us a little rundown? That was a fantastic setup. All right, here we go. Unless you've not been looking at Twitter, which I wouldn't blame you if you hadn't been. Um, or where else does this stuff come through? The kind of entertainment news that would be for a really popular HBO series. Facebook? Facebook. Sometimes Instagram. Like, sometimes like my... Social media. News feed, like my Google will have some curated oh, stories okay. and stuff I might be interested in. Get a yeah. lot of Song of Ice and Fire stuff there. If you follow any newsletters of websites that aren't technology websites, although, oddly enough, a lot of those sites that I follow ended up covering Game of Thrones just because... every website covered (laughs) Game of Thrones. (laughs) So strange. It's not even... It's like, well, they use cameras to film this, and they had walkie-talkies on set, and they use drones for anti-security measures, and so technology-adjacent it is. Anyway, um, round two of all that, if the show ends up being good, is on its way. HBO let out two, two... batches of news recently and also uh, a little bit ago some concept art for the mm-hmm. series which you can look at on the internet too so the show's gonna start filming in 2021 House of the Dragon it's coming hot D that felt like it was really far away when they said it was 
happening and mm-hmm. then 2020 was a wash and, and now it feels just like held it's our hand the through this whole year <laughs> yeah thanks for giving us something to distract us with that we could all tweet about when right. got was gone and now we could all tweet about this instead and uh we've also had three actors for the show apart from the ones that have already been announced cast and uh some big stuff here big stuff should i just read the names that would be awesome matt smith damon targaryen Got an eyebrow raise. Emma Darcy, Renaria, Targaryen, Olivia Cook, Allison Hightower. Shout out to the Hightowers. How do we feel about this? I don't, I never watched Doctor Who, which is where I would know Matt Smith from, or like where I have seen his name surrounding. Mm -hmm. I've watched a couple episodes here and there. Of him or the David Tennant one? Or Chris Eccleston? Yeah. Like I kind of. I've seen a little bit of everything. Did you see Christopher Eccleston, the bald one? Yeah. Really? The like leather jacket? A, like a couple clips, you know? Okay. I've been around. I go to a lot of conventions. Right. You, know? you kind of like... <laughs> uh, anyway, so No, that's... please continue. What did you think of Doctor <laughs> Who? We need a tiny sidebar here. Um, I don't think we have time for sidebars. All right, fine. So I've just like seen a lot of stuff like that around, so I've seen him from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. But I don't really necessarily know how he did in that. And so I think that folks who are fans of that show will probably have pretty strong opinions because you've watched Doctor Who before. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this? About him or all three of them? Do you know the rest of the actors? No, I don't. I unfortunately don't either. I feel kind of bad about that. Culturally uninformed. Um, They look cool. (laughs) I think, I mean... I bet they're good actors. It's one of those things. It's their job. Getting actors assigned, it's one of those things where it's like, it's exciting, and I feel like it kind of brings, we get that visual element of mm-hmm. bringing the character to life. There's so much that so much that we don't know, and so once we get, you know, a trailer, or we get a couple episode synopsises, or things like that, yeah. I think that's going to even more bring all of this to life. To me right now, what's exciting about all of this news with House of the Dragon is movement. And that we're progressing forward and that it's actually happening. It's actually going to come. Yeah. I feel like it was a concept for such a long time. And so to have big names cast and things moving forward, a time when we're going to start filming, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what's really exciting about this news to me. I don't necessarily have an opinion, neither here nor there, on any of these people, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, they're going to be directed to a fresh script. And right. by people they probably haven't worked with before on a new project in its first season, you know, so even what they've done before, you can probably disregard in some measure. I have seen Matt Smith and Doctor Who and uh, the, uh, what's his name? The guy who took over for the other one's his name. <laughs> I forgot both of their names. The uh, There's two eras of Doctor Who that are, that are more recent. There might be a third one now. I stopped watching after... Uh, season six or season the second season of the uh, the names are escaping of, me of what's his name season yeah yeah i can't help you <laughs> i forget Sorry. there's i used to really love the show and i've totally forgotten that makes me really sad but there's a new showrunner for uh the matt smith era he was a uh, kind of like how miguel is for house of the dragon right now beloved from working on a previous era of the show that had a different showrunner he directed and i believe wrote some influential episodes that ended up breaking through the uh, sort of cultural membrane and uh, stuck out as favorites for a lot of people. And I think whoever was in charge of the decision, BBC or maybe the guy who uh, was uh, 
the fact that I'm locked in right now and I can't remember makes me so sad. I wish I could, I wish yeah, I could help you. I would you. say someone's name to you from Great Britain and you'd be like, oh, yes, yeah. I can finally <laughs> connect those dots. It would mean almost as much as these actors' names right now, sadly enough. Anyway, um, I didn't really like the that new Doctor Who era, mm-hmm. but Matt Smith was fine in it. It must be really hard to carry something like that on your shoulders sure. and to be the guy. I thought David Tennant did amazingly, though. Sure. And uh, it's not really a serious role. I guess you can play the doctor kind of seriously, but he's a little bit whimsical and he's got little tools. And I know that this feeling really powerful inherently while having this exterior of goofiness because he's so comfortable and he's had ages of reiterations of his own character to become so kooky with the universe because it seems almost infinite and he's silly. Right. I don't think it's going to be the same for Damon Targaryen. I would assume not, (laughs) at least... That's our best educated guess. It's going to be like seeing Jim Carrey go from Ace Ventura to the number 23. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I'm excited. I feel like that's a cool that's like a cool challenge. It's something that'll be fun for people who are already fans of him to kind of see him in a role like this. I'm sure he's done, you know, many other things, but like in terms of big roles like that. Sure. I mean, he's probably just sat in front of his mirror or when he was growing up and he was doing drama. I'm sure he sunk his teeth into plenty of dramatic roles sure. that didn't have him constantly going for laughs and he'll be directed by one of our boys one of our old faves miguel miguel so that's also exciting to when we think about like continuity from the game of thrones series itself carrying over to house of the dragon with all these new actors and new showrunners and things like that we've got he's one of the showrunners he's one of that's right that's right he's one of the showrunners and so um I think that's really exciting. We'll have a little bit of a familiar face as we come into this. So. Yeah. Yeah. He'll he'll be directing a couple episodes probably. And there was also recently three more directors announced who are Claire Kilner, Gita Patel, and Greg Yatanes. Right now, names on a page with their own body of work. Really exciting. That, uh, like you said, that there's movement. I think if you look up the news on this, you'll be able to see what those actors and directors have done outside of being signed for this show. They have their own bodies of work. But like I said, I don't know how much all that will matter with the new material like this. And for such a premium platform. Right. Going up on HBO Max. (laughs) (laughs) That's the big thing about it. If it still exists in 2022, when the show's slated to come out. Who knows? But there's going to be a lot of fanfare around it, I think, just because it's coming off of something like Game of Thrones, so. For sure. It's cool. And the Dance of Dragons is awesome. And uh, we have Fire and Blood. Yeah, to get through before we get to that. So We should just tell everyone right now that that's the plan. That whenever we finish the Feast of Dragons, that that's the plan. So buckle up for that adventure. Lots of House of the Dragons slash Thanks, Fire George, and the for all Blood the <laughs> hype over the next year or so. So I'm excited to get into it. But for now, we've got, you know, a couple little tidbits to keep us entertained while we... Um, finish our feast 12 chapters left of a feast of dragons not long i know a couple tidbits i'm gonna really savor all these especially this one right now because this is another one of those ending narratives this is the last chapter in uh a dance with dragons here right and as you mentioned we did we have done the woods of winter chapter so we know what's kind of happening next a little bit with this but yeah like we've been saying we're coming to the end of of a lot of these different narratives and something I was thinking about 
while we were prepping to read is, you know, a feast for crows and a dance of dragons can sometimes be a little bit of a slog and can sometimes feel a little bit long, especially in a lot of those feast chapters in the middle. And so it's exciting when we've really been putting in the work to kind of see it pay off Mm -hmm. and all of the narratives start to pay off. And so it's just a really fun time to be we're just in a really fun portion of this reading You series. mean for the podcast? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for so, sure. I agree. Having a grand old time over here. <laughs> Me too. I like getting to this point and sort of looking around and seeing the chapters that surround where we're going and where it was previous in the narrative for, for this character. And uh, it's cool to see how so many ends have closed mm-hmm. and become smaller. And you have to kind of go far back to get far away from the compelling present. This has sort of been growing louder and louder until right now where it's just the the volume has turned all the way up on everything. Everywhere. And so I was thinking a lot about we've been we've spent a lot of the last couple episodes in Marine Mm -hmm. with everything that's happening over there and the chaos that's happening there asking how did it get so wild here? It's going to really pop off very soon. Mm -hmm. And then we're coming over here to a place that we haven't really been in a while to see Stannis and in the north and in this like deep cold and storm and winter and... Here, too, we can kind of ask the same question of how did it get so bad Mm -hmm. here? Tensions are so high and things are really at the breaking point. Yeah, for sure. They're eating people. So it's pretty bad. I remember on the last episode that I was talking, I was talking about Marine being a a place that, like, I forget the reason why I was talking about it. But I remember saying, and someone tweeted us to comment on it, saying that Westeros was equally as savage as uh as the things that they do out in essos and then mm-hmm. it was so it's so ironic to go from what we thought was really bad people dying against the wall or someone dying against the wall rather uh because of the bloody flux and, and the fighting pits and, and, and the things, fighting pit yeah. inside the purple lotus and no one caring and here we have friends eating each other right and talking about the cuts of meat that they'd like to have from each other so it's like you as know, an act is, of desperation this place is, Exactly. Well, as an act of desperation, but still it's happening. Right. So it's like, damn. I thought it was... Sort of corrected immediately. Right. Right in the next chapter. <laughs> I like how um, Asha makes this point about how... Well, there's two kind of things that she makes. The first is that... So these men... The chapter opens and these men are being taken to be burned because of their crime of cannibalism. And she thinks to herself that this is the first people who've been caught, not necessarily the first time something like this has happened. Mm -hmm. They've been in this situation for a really long time. Um, And then she also says, uh, Asha was surprised to see how ordinary they appeared. Not monsters, she realized, only men. And so we've got real people, the real common folk who are fighting here who aren't getting enough food because it's being taken by the higher-ups. What is left is being taken by other people. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, the lake's being overfished and it is being... Um, described as cheese like because mm. there's so many holes everywhere as we're kind of setting up for some potential battles along the way. But what's interesting to me and kind of something we can talk about through the course of this chapter is Stannis obviously knows how bad things are. Yeah. There's no way, I and mean, he's pretty absent from this chapter. We see him, he comes quietly down to see the burnings and there's talk of him being up in his tower. Asha thinks it's it's him lost and kind of crying out for help. He's kind of trying to figure out what to do. She thinks that he's he's scrying in the flames. That he's well, maybe it's a. I guess, I guess you're right. She does think that he's totally 
sort of abandoned purpose and maybe he's spinning his wheels up there, but doesn't she also think that he's trying to fruitlessly see through the fire and find some kind of solution to the problem that they're in? I think that's the same thing. Honestly, I mean, in my mind, because he's not having success there. And so he's doing everything he feels like he can, but he, nothing's seeming to happen and nothing seems to get better. And I think things will only get a little worse as they continue to suffer out here in the cold. And so I just thought it was kind of wild just to see Stannis or assume how he is kind of starting to work this out in his head from above because he kind of, um, he gets a little bit of a lifeline here at the end of this chapter, as we'll see. But it's just highlighting how horribly bad things are. So, Do you remember the last chapter of The King's Prize when we did it on the podcast? Vaguely. I I just remember the mood and how the beginning of this chapter kind of parallels that mood or mirrors it or just reflects it in um, a way that feels the same, but they're not traveling towards a destination. Right. So it feels like almost worse. Because they're stuck. Because they're stuck because they're not going anywhere. And before there was, just like in this chapter and the King's Prize, there was comparisons between the Southern men and the North men and how they're dealing with the elements and uh, how they're fighting cannibalism, how they're eating horses. And there was that awesome description of uh, the kind of man that would just leave the party and right. just sort of walk off the trail and just stand there and die, like not need to do anything about it, just let the cold overtake him until he eventually fell asleep and died. And you think about how that doesn't really seem like much of an option here because you're in some kind of weird safety place, place of safety, but so close to the enemy and you have nowhere to go and you're running out of supplies. It's like we had to have a lifeline or there was nothing else. And it's a huge mental game. And that's why you, we see all these tensions among the men because there's this group led by a car star who may or may not have pure intentions with that, <laughs> which we find out are not so pure. But it's we've got, you know, mostly North men who are desperate to just die with a sword in their hand. Let's do something. Let's try something. Um, Justin Massey's kind of poking fun the at hero. everybody. He's... Saying, you know, sure, you can get out there. What are you going to do? Fight with snowballs? How are you going to? Cl- how are, how are we going to be able to? Even if we get to Winterfell, what do we even do at that point? And so there's kind of these two sides. But it's it's easy to sympathize more with these Northmen who just want to do something, anything. Let's just try something instead of s- spinning our wheels and burning people in some sort of desperate attempt sure. to appease a god that we don't really, none of us really believe, really believe in. in. Let's get our feet on the ground and do something. I like what you said of it being, um, they were just, they're sort of forced to work it out and you see the, the scaffolding of everyone's mentality and all their personalities connected. Like the, the way that an ecosystem works in nature with predation, the different tiers and hierarchies of people. And, uh, <clears throat> the fact that they're, like I said, not traveling and they're stuck here and, and their supplies are slowly dwindling. <clears throat> you see the stuff like, you know, it's time for another drink of this diet. It's not kissed. Not a sponsor. Hold on. Um, <clears throat> you see their their attitude, like the way that, that Suggs is treating Asha. I'm sure that he would have treated it that way normally, but if it hadn't been like this, I don't think it would have been this bad. And so you're getting kind of the blunt, this is what it is. There's nothing left to BS, 
And what's next is what that guy was saying when he was getting taken to the stake, where he was talking about the way that he'd like to see your cousin or your nephew, whoever it was, cut up the sections Mm -hmm. of meat that would be the most tasty, where this sort of brutal truth, this brutal savagery of what's really on your mind comes out of you. This honesty, most importantly, which makes stuff... uh, I, ironically more entertaining sure. whenever someone's not putting the sheen over their situation right. they're, they're really giving it to you straight up and it's taken all of this to get there I don't know man it's pretty messed up <laughs> the days were dark cold and hungry it kind of reminds me a little bit well that's not a good comparison I'm not gonna go there what are you gonna say it's like COVID <laughs> <laughs> so I mean they, yeah They've been here, they've been where they are for 19 days. It's like they had been three days from Winterfell, supposedly, Mm -hmm. for 19 days. And before that, they had left on this march, you know, over a month before. So everything is really kind of coming to a... uh, an end point. Fuck you all and fuck your red god too, he said. You hear me, Faring? Giant Slayer, I laughed when your fucking cousin died. Godry, <laughs> we should have eaten him too. He smelled so good. Okay, that's two quotes. We should have eaten him too. He smelled so good when they roasted him. I bet the boy was nice and tender. Juicy. A blow from his spear butt drove the man to his knees but did not silence him. When he rose, he spat out a mouthful of blood and broken teeth and went right on. The cock's the choiciest part. Choice, choicest. Choiciest. The cock's the choicest part, all crisped up on the spit, a fat little sausage. Even as they ra- even as they wrapped the chains around him, he raved on. Corliss Penny, come over here. What sort of name is Penny? Is that how much your mother charged? And you, Suggs, you bleeding bastard, you. And then Suggs cuts his throat. And I thought it was really uh, astute of Asha. Yeah. In this, like I said, mental landscape, reading all of these signs from everyone to notice that this was really most likely a ploy for this guy to have someone lash out at him and have him be killed mm-hmm. before he's burned alive there. Which is a mu- it's like almost a mercy at that point. Yeah, when you think about when Asha went into the long haul and she was talking about how her feet burn from the, the heat change. Mm-hmm. Think about how much it would suck to be out there in the cold with the furs taken off of you as you're being put up to uh, roast on a spike. Personally, I would like it without the, the furs being on. I like being a little chilly outside. But uh, with the fire, <laughs> I mean, that is a big ju- juxtaposition, a, a huge change. I mean, think about the torture from going from that harsh cold. Because being burned alive is bad enough. It's but not a good On the way beach of go. Dragonstone at the end of spring, or sorry, at the know. end of summer. Yeah, that that sucks too, but you've got the, 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 the smell and the spray of salt water in the air. This is about as brutal as it gets. It's, it's not a good way to go. No. And Asha wants to watch it. Yeah. So we've got... Allie, who's like, you don't really need to watch this. You don't have to see this. And she's like, yes, I can watch it. I can handle it. I got this. And Allie's like, actually, I don't really want to see it. So can we leave? <laughs> you know. That's another but, breakdown of the whole thing, their relationship. I remember when they first left, she was much more captive. Mm-hmm. But now they're one of two women. I don't know how much more, how many more women there are here. But as things break down, the way that this guy was talking to the rest of them, I know he was just being taken to be sacrificed, but that's going to start happening to everyone else. If, oh, absolutely. If things don't move, and it's just like a ticking time bomb for her. Well, because everyone's hungry, and everyone's at their wit's end, and exactly. I mean, even if, even if all, so it's it's really hard not to talk about the next chapter that we've already talked about while talking about this chapter, because there is some 
movement a little bit we get from Stannis and Tycho, which shows We can talk about that. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online counseling platform that allows you to access licensed professionals anywhere at any time. It's especially convenient these days when we're all stuck at home. BetterHelp.com is also available worldwide, and it is a lot less expensive than traditional in-person counseling or receiving therapy from someone who has an office that you have to physically go to and wait for. I think in 2020, therapy is more important than ever, and having the opportunity to access that from the comfort of your home, I think, makes the whole process a little bit less scary. And even if you don't think that you need therapy, it is a really helpful exercise to help you get to know yourself better. I don't think that everyone has someone to talk to or definitely not someone that they can rely on that will truly listen and not make part of the conversation about themselves just because that's how we are naturally as humans. But someone who does this for a living, an actual professional at, at listening to you and helping you unpack things you might be dealing with, I think is really useful to have access to. And the fact that you can use better help to talk to someone, to video chat with someone, to message someone on your phone, even like you said, all from sitting at your house using the technology that you already own that you're listening to this podcast on. I think it's cool that something like counseling has been affected by technology like this. This is a really good development, one of those good things that I think will help a lot of people. Another really great thing about BetterHelp is they really help you facilitate a great match for you. So it is easy and free to change counselors if you need to. So if you start a session with somebody and you feel like, it's not working out, which actually is pretty common. They will, for free, help you find somebody that is helpful for you. They've uh, started recruiting counselors in all 50 states now because their platform's gotten so popular. So there's a large variety of licensed professionals that you can speak to. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp dot com slash owns that is owns join over one million people who have taken charge of their mental health at betterhelp.com that's b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot com slash owns well i don't know maybe not because some of you that are listening i know that because they, they some sometimes people write in and talk about the the way that we handle spoilers so maybe we could just warn everyone yeah right that's now a good point that we'll talk about we'll talk so we're going to talk about the sample chapter yeah that's a good point probably for the next like couple minutes or so talk sample chapter but so we get taiko naharis who comes in at the end of the chapter who Nestoris. sorry dario naharis <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> that's a great character mashup yeah <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> Um, he's actually kind of like Dario in his style styling. Sure. Yeah. He's seen some things. Yeah. He's been around the world. Yeah. <laughs> Daiko um, Naharis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, it happens. Oh, in this chapter too, when they're talking about Roller. Yeah. They're whatever the mispronunciation is kind of making fun of like Hars do last chapter. Mm-hmm. But um anyway, back to what I was saying. Tycho shows up who's been around the block and he's been Let's pull really up that map. He's been really uh, making some moves and getting around, and that's kind of a shock. But he he shows up at the end, and we we see in the Winds of Winter sample chapter the deal that he and Stannis make. 
and just our boy Justin, who's Justin always makes me laugh because it's such a normal name compared to literally every other Uh name in A Song of Ice and Fire. We've got Asha and... Stannis and Melisandre Clayton Suggs yeah and Justin (laughs) which always makes me laugh a little bit for no real reason anyway he's gonna go off to try to recruit some sellswords to help the help the situation but say you know all of these things work out in Stannis' favor say that they do yeah he still has this huge problem that is insurmountable that is feeding his men and getting them shelter when they're sitting here outside of enemy territory deep deep there and i know that a lot of some of them want to fight but the reality is is that they really can't it, I, I wonder about their bravery to fight especially the ones that are close at all to Karstark and may know about the plan i feel like some of their fearlessness and some of their their uh, comfort within all of the oncoming potential badness that they're running out of supplies and that <clears throat> they really don't know what kind of defenses that Winterfell has and they really don't know what kind of a leader Stannis is going to end up be out, being out of all this. I feel like some of their confidence might not only be from being Northmen, but they might just know that they're going to turn their cloaks. Right, right, right. You know? Right. Which sucks right. really bad. I, there's a part in the chapter that said where, <clears throat> Jesus, come on, Sunkist. The tiniest sip possible. There's this thought by Asha in the chapter. Press on and die. Stay here and die. Fall back and die. Makes me think about if we're going to look at this as a physical manifestation of whoever's in charge, so Stannis, a physical manifestation of what he, I'm holding my hands up and quoting, deserves, has earned, whatever karma you see in Planetos, if that's a thing or if it's just a mathematical conclusion of all of his decisions, isn't that really the same thing? Is it because of how the gods feel about his decisions? I'm not sure. Right. But we're in this situation where all three of those options that she thought about was die. Mm-hmm. We've made it into this foreign land on a weird course, a lot like the exactly the course that uh, Tycho Nestoris took to get here. And we've lost all of these men, all of these horses. We've lost our humanity. We've lost faith in our leader. Maybe we've lost sight of our goal. I'm not really sure, but it seems like whether it's Roller or whether it's the old gods, the drowned god, Bacalon, the list goes on. Someone, something, somewhere, Stannis has just just ran himself in the ground, and I wonder where he went wrong. Yeah, you know, to get into this situation. I'm thinking about even. Somebody like Justin Massey, I lost my faith in more than Roller. Yeah. You know, which is, I assume he's talking about Stannis at that point. Probably too. everything, right? Probably everything. And so... Himself. Yeah. But I think that that's a really good question of kind of where he went wrong. And I was trying to think of the same thing, too. Because we're not even at the point... We're not even at the point where he's made any... My assumption is... And your assumption probably as well is that there's a couple more really big sacrifices that he's likely to make to the Red God, whether it's Shireen or somebody and or somebody else. I think that Stannis is just at the beginning of his journey of making wild decisions or mistakes or mistakes based off of what he feels like he has to do oh, to make something so happen. And so we talk about, you know, where did he go wrong along the way? What did he do differently? He seemingly is the guy that has been the 
nicest, chillest, coolest. None of those nice. words describe him. But what I'm trying to say is, what well, I mean when like he's he's trying to help the wall. He feels like he has a legitimate claim. While sacrificing people, though. He tries to help John out, all these kinds of things. Sure. Like, he tries okay. to be very kingly, I feel like. Okay, yeah. And so, sure, he sacrificed. Sure, he's, like, tied up with this religion that is very different from a lot of other religions that are happening. It's radical. It's radical. And I think a lot of folks in the story are going to blame his wrongdoings on his association there. But we as readers kind of understand that Melisandre and this religion tend to be not totally incorrect. And they have power. And they have real power. And real we've power. seen that happen. And so. He's like, why isn't this real? My sword was on fire. Right. So, you know, and as we see them potentially getting out of these situations, I don't know. I, I think that's a good question of necessarily where he went wrong. Because I think on paper, he's made a lot of pretty decent decisions. And I know he's not, like, the best guy in the biz, but I think he's tried to handle this whole his whole bid for the king Like a decently. just man. Yeah, you know, and that's his downfall, for sure. But Do you think it was Renly killing his brother like that? In sort of an underhanded way instead of in the open field? I mean, that is pretty shady. Think about how many people would have died otherwise. When one person in this case died. But it's his own blood, you know? Yeah, it's his brother. It's like killing it's his, his little brother. brother. But if, if Stannis is being punished for something like that, then why is Theon able to come out the other side? Or why has Daenerys been able to be successful? Or why has Tyrion been able to be successful? You know what I mean? I think that they've had, and Danny especially coming up at the end of this read-through, have had opportunities and... They've been forced by the universe to really face who they are and be honest with themselves about it. And it doesn't really feel like Stannis has had to do that yet. Fair. Like he's kind of skating by on this cover, this front of... Yeah, the momentum of being a nobleman and uh, being the brother of the king whenever he died and being strategically close to someone like Melisandre that could help radicalize other people to your cause. You already had Bannermen. He was already sort of strategically put in this position to rally power around him. So I feel like that has a lot to do with it. What do you think his next moves are going to be? I mean, after this Winds of Winter thing, and I know we talked about that already, Mm -hmm. but what do you see? He knows he's in a bad situation, so it's not like he can kind of press forward pretending like nothing's going on. But maybe he will. But what do you kind of see next for him in order to maybe gain a stronger foothold? I think that he's being quiet because... He doesn't feel like it's necessary to share his plans. Mm -hmm. I think that he's probably thought about everything that everyone in this chapter has said and thought themselves. I think that he's at the top of probably the mental command of everyone as well. Um, I think that however the fight goes, that he'll... Will he live or die? That's the question. I mean, and we talked about that a lot on that other episode. I feel like this might be the end for him. But it would be that really cool because... if he survived and kept it interesting. Right. But I really do feel like this is the end. What, what were you going to say? You... Well, I was like, is that just because of how the TV show played out? Like, <clears> what <throat> makes you say just because of how bleak this is? Or... Yeah, it just seems like we've reached the end of his potential. And that this is kind of a place where nightmares are spawning, mm-hmm. both inside Winterfell and now outside of Winterfell. Right. And, and just... outside the wall. I mean, they're so they're pretty close to... The real threat. True. That's true. 
But I, I don't write everyone off that's between here and the wall even. Maybe they'll have time to run south, but I feel like Stannis, on the other hand, would have... He'd feel like he has unfinished business and he has a responsibility to fight whatever that threat is or to, I guess, try to punish the rest of the people that were involved with the Boltons, whether tertiarily or um, directly involved with them. Maybe he would ride south and start to take care of the rest of the phrase. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of the revenge angle that he cares about. I think that maybe securing this location that's so strategic is all that's on his mind. And the revenge would get, grant him a lot of supporters, though. He would get a lot of supporters. I wonder if he's thought about what to do with them yet, though. Yeah, that's a good question. And where he would go from here. I mean, I feel like marching seems almost impossible with the state that everyone's in. Maybe they get more ships and leave from White Harbor. I don't know if they attack King's Landing or they try to take more strongholds on the way there. So I, I guess like him, I've also been so focused on this petering out here at Winterfell, probably colored by the TV series too, that I haven't really considered it much past that. But we have the Iron Bank backing him. So I feel like if 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 Tycho, who is a really smart guy, clearly, and I think they were supposed to think that because of a million different examples, partially because of his swiftness of dismounting his horse and his comfort in such a bad situation or right. whether or not he, or how he rather, recognized Asha so quickly, being a really smart person, he seemingly put putting all of the stock behind someone like Stannis and he could be hedging his bets with a ton of different people and, and most likely is. But still, I feel like it's tough for someone so smart to bet on a lost cause like this. So maybe it isn't a total lost cause. Maybe they're able to turn this clear disadvantage in the momentum of the next chapter that we've read in the Crofters village, feeling like it's going somewhere. It doesn't feel totally hopeless, at least for their localized strategization skills. They're indoors a little bit more in that chapter they're, too. So. They're indoors. <laughs> there's uh, there's <laughs> the ravens talking. We find yeah. we find people that are scheming against us, and we dispatch them, and we have a plan. It seems like not totally grim, like mm-hmm. the beginning of this chapter. This mm-hmm. seems like sort of the peak of the grimness, and where we might get some momentum toward some kind of revol- revol- resolution. Moving forward, it feels like they might have a chance. And knowing what we know in God mode about what's actually going on inside of Winterfell and how pissed off they're probably they are probably right now that um, Jane and Theon escaped. Right. Some saber rattling going on in there. I think that they have a really good chance of winning. I think that they have a really good chance of winning. Well, I think Theon really changes the game for them, even if their stuff is You're leaked. right, actually. Even if their stuff's been leaked about what their situation is like, now they know what... What it's like in there. In the Winterfell situation. So they're yeah. on a little bit more of an even playing field. What do you but, think? Well, something... I was going to ask you another question, too, but something I was thinking about is Justin Massey, as he's heading out, if he's going to actually do what he says he's going to do. Or if he's just completely lost faith in the whole, faith in the whole thing and isn't going to try to drum up some support and bring some swords back to help. Um, mm, I don't know how much that matters. Yeah, I don't know how much it matters either. But just another thing I was kind of thinking about is like an extra additional thing to shore up Stannis's victory. But like Asha said, he broke so easy in this chapter. Right, right, right. It's a little bit of testing. Her only champion. There. She's champion. like, this is my guy, and look at him crumble. You hate to see that. Mm-hmm. But, but I was thinking at least he wants to be her guy, even if he doesn't have really much to offer her at the end of all this. Well, that's at least was, there's that. That's what I was wondering if like maybe that in and of itself would be enough to get him motivated to 
do something if he's going to be promised somebody so like her. So silly how some of us are. So, <laughs> so, so it's like that's what motivates you, man. You're going you're gonna to lean back on the chivalry thing whenever right. people are eating each other's body parts around you. There's some real savage stuff going on. Hey, I – this is an, a, sort of an aside, but I read this book, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, the, mm. like over the summer. It's this love – it's this real love story in in a concentration camp. It's like these two people falling in love in a con- – and I thought it was Go so on. strange. I know. This is such an aside. But no, I thought it was I, so – Talking about Justin and Asha? Yeah. I thought it was so strange <laughs> <laughs> that I was like, I can't believe I'm reading this kind of love story essentially happening in such a dark place. But people are people and it's like – Humanity. She's more likely to fall in love with Suggs. He's playing. <laughs> yeah, he's probably. playing hard with her. Well, even, <laughs> and then I want to talk a little bit more about Stannis. But even she respects him mm-hmm. when he is at the very end. Yeah, she hates the guy That's for good saying. reason. And then she's like, "Well, but he can." He's actually get brave. It. Yeah, yeah, he can kind of get it. Yeah, um, much more than she would respect someone like Justin Massey, like you said, who kind of crumbles at the first thing. Prances away. Um. To answer your question about, like, what I think is going to happen with Stannis is I don't necessarily have an answer for it either. But kind of circling back to something else we were talking about before is I really think that the horrors are still coming for him when we get to some of these greater sacrifices. So there's the chapter is called The Sacrifice. And so, you know, I think that, like, maybe we can read into that a little bit, whether it's just because there's a lot of sacrifices happening in this chapter or there's some speculation that, like, it's about Asha who will essentially be sacrificed. I feel like that's a little bold because the whole chapter is about her. Like, to me, that's a little bit too obvious. But to me, it just reads that there's a lot more of that in store. Whether it's somebody bigger like Asha, whether it is Shireen, whether whether it's somebody else along the way. I think that in order for this storm to break, somebody big has got to go. And... That might be one of those moments for Stannis where things then seem like they're helped and seem like they're moving forward and seem like they're going his way and then will eventually fall apart. And so I think we have a little bit more of a downward spiral for him before we see the end of whatever his storyline Still, might okay. be. As grim and as dark as this chapter filled with cannibalism is. Maybe Dion will be part of the burning party whenever they sack Winterfell or whatever they or, or rather win here at the village whatever ends up happening maybe he'll be the one to light Ramsay's pyre that would be as a sacrifice so satisfying Ooh. it's a flame is that more his satisfying feet, his toes. is that more satisfying than Ramsay's death in the show or less satisfying oh god have you ever been bit by an animal no <laughs> God it bless. feels just like uh, something really heavy with a sharp end is falling on you really hard. Mm-hmm. And it's pushing down just really hard. Okay. So just a lot of those sort of clamps of just pressure, just a lot of pressure that ultimately pulls parts of you off. <sighs> That's rough. And depending on how the dog ate him, the dogs ate him, mm-hmm. whether or not they, they killed him first. All I can see early is the process. face as they, she walks away. Did she watch? I can't remember. No, but she, like... Anyway, I think that it's prob- they're probably equally bad. <laughs> I think it's probably equally bad. Right. Fire would really suck too. Right. But at least there's like a crescendo. There's some kind of a pattern to how fire works. Animals would be so, I don't know, seemingly random. I was, I hopefully you don't say brutal because according to this, according to Asha. It was beautiful? Brutal. Oh, beautiful. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she, she liked it no, at this she point. she didn't like it. I wonder how many people she thought it like smelled it awesome. Well, some people did. They talked yeah. about that. 
Some of the cannibals are like, what are we supposed to do? Another book that I read recently was the Donner Party book about the Donner Party. What's and, it called? Um, it's called The Indifferent Stars Above. Uh-huh. And what led them to cannibalism and the choices that they had to make in order to get to that point. What was it? Desperation. I mean, kind of a lot of the same situation. All the horses are gone. Everything's there. Yeah. They burn their dead. And then it's like, oh, well, that's doesn't seem like the worst right. <laughs> thing that we could think that's of. That's tough. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would do it. What about you? I also read this thing about in the 70s, there was some sports team that crashed on a mountain. Their airplane crashed on a mountain. And First a, time hearing of this. I wish I could remember the details and people, just like a little bit of a cannibalism <laughs> track along the way. But um, they crashed on a mountain and they weren't rescued for like a month or a really prolonged amount of time to the point where they had to start eating each other. And so they made a pact. It was like, if I die, then and a bunch of them died in an avalanche and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, if I die, then I have to be, you have to eat me. And then they come back into society and everyone's like shunning them because they were cannibals. But they were like, no, this was like some sort of sacred act. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, weird ideas pop up when things are that crazy. I mean, I've never been in a situation where it's that cold. I'm that hungry. Mm-hmm. I'm not broken. I'm so blessed that that's like something I've never even had to think about. Totally. So, but that's a, a, it seems just just read this chapter for a couple insights into that and think about the kind of people they were before. Although I think Justin's a pretty interesting holdout for the kind of personality shift that the rest of them are experiencing. Maybe a little bit easier to that, or rather maybe they're a little bit easier to that than him. Maybe he has just a little bit more hopefulness baked into him from the kind of upbringing he had slash the kind of personality and the kind of strange, awkwardly normal name he's had. I was going to say. Is among everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> is that the thing it's, it's that like... It's giving him just a lighthearted point of view right. that deserve. <laughs> but just how, just it's the passage that I read earlier when the guy was being carried to the stake mm-hmm. i mean that's that's chilling mm-hmm. when you hear the base communication with all the pleasantries taken out of it that's some chilling stuff right you really see this is what these guys are thinking yeah this is this is humanity where where it actually is without yeah. the pleasantries of the the uh, ecosystem that's been built up around us from generations of evolution of technology and comfort and uh knowing our environment and anticipating for those bad things but right. Rather, all that anticipation done by you and everyone around you just falling off to the wayside and being really put into what nature has to offer. And I feel like that's what we all have to look forward to in the next book, probably. Definitely. I wonder how far south it'll go in Westeros first, though. I'm not sure. Definitely, though. And this is... It was it was exciting to kind of... I don't know. We've spent a lot of time in desperate situations in Marine lately, I feel like, or on the wall or things like that. And so it was... It was enlightening to kind of look at that from the perspective of Stannis and where they're at and kind of just being reminded of how big and chaotic everything truly is at this point as we're rushing towards the climax. I'm going to read a couple more passages that I think bolster some of the stuff that we're talking about. Please. Just because of their devotion to Roller. And so how does that how that's manifested out of their desperation Mm -hmm. and just this strong belief. And it's like, I need something to hopefully stop the oncoming momentum. Even Asha is like, I'll take this if that stops this. Yep. Yeah. We thank you for the sun that warms us and pray that you will return it to us. Oh Lord, that it might light our path to your enemies. 
Snowflakes melted on his face. We thank you for the stars that watch over us by night and pray that you will rip away this veil that hides them so we might glory in their sight once more. The poetry that comes out of men when they suffer like this. It's like, you know, gods, I did not try that hard. I can say such beautiful words. Right. <laughs> My, I, the, the, the sky is but a veil darkening your light. All the stars in the sky are, are, are uh, shallow versions of what you truly are. Small holes in the sky that I wish to rip open and become so much more wide. You know what I mean? As someone like, who's please, as please. someone who's deeply religious, it's all very triggering to me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but but like you said yourself, you're not going through the same kind of stuff as this. So that's just for fun. Right, right. Right. Well imagine things are just terrible, the kind of poetry that's gonna come out of you. I know. Not just terrible ideologically, but physically terrible. Like you went outside in shorts and no jacket and you're mm-hmm. like, holy shit, right. it's starting to rain and I have 45 minutes left to get home. Sure. And there's no buses and everyone has COVID. And also I haven't eaten in two weeks. What yeah, we need to like up the stakes a little bit than just walking home in the rain versus, because <laughs> that's not going to uh, push anybody towards cannibalism. True. Like a situation like this Although I feel like some to. people would pivot toward that maybe more easier than others. Oh, there's always people like, who are I guess like, we gotta eat so much. waiting. <laughs> they're waiting for some sort of chaos. We give you now four evil men with glad hearts and true just that kind of language well and how many where's the line a little bit later when they're all talking in the long haul about is that what it's called um you look for that i'm finishing this oh yeah sorry okay (laughs) with glad hearts and true we give them to your cleansing fires that the darkness in their souls might be burned away let their vile flesh. This is Slughorn at Hagrid's funeral. Oh, his body oh, will decay <laughs> while taking acromantula venom. Right. While taking. Not at Hagrid's acromantula? funeral. What is it? Acromantula? I can't remember. Acromantula venom. Anyway, what were you saying? You said Hagrid's funeral. Sorry, Aragog's funeral. Yeah. My bad. Although their bodies will be burned away, <laughs> the let their part. vile flesh be <laughs> seared and blackened. That their spirits might rise free and pure to ascend into the light. Accept their blood, O Lord, and melt the icy chains that bind your servants. Hear their pain and grant strength to our swords that we might shed the blood of your enemies. Accept this sacrifice and show us the way to Winterfell that we might vanquish the unbelievers. So they're going to become, so if they make it out of this, O Lord, we will be soldiers for your, we will vanquish. Right. Your unbelievers. We will vanquish them. And then here comes the mustachioed Bravo C. Hello. Yeah. Hi, guys. So, these four <laughs> guys. Money? Yeah. As a trade for him. Is that what you think? The sacrifice worked? What? Do you, do you think the sacrifice worked? <laughs> oh, these guys? No. Because who was it that says who? Okay. That's another thing I can't remember. I'm talking Somebody, about King's Blood? Yeah. They're like. Is that what you were going to quote? These are randos. They're not, this isn't going to do anything for him. Like, these guys mm-hmm. are going to die anyways. No, I was going to read when, um, so they're Justin and the car sarks and everybody's kind of going back and forth in the long haul and they're kind of making fun of him. And he's like, you're going to die. We talked about that. And they're basically like, we're all going to die. Yeah. Do you not believe in the red God's power to save us, to protect us? You know, all those kinds of things. And he says, the Lord of light, I, my faith runs as deep as your own, Richard. You know that. Yeah. And so as we're talking about all these prayers that are being offered up and everyone's kind of, well, maybe we could talk about what faith really is. And if, sure, if your like. faith is not real, <laughs> then Are you punished or you just do, get nothing? It's not going to do anything for you. Okay. But um, I think that it's just interesting that 
there's a lot of interesting things at play. One, a lot of them are just going through the motions because they that's what they got to do to survive. A lot of them are just going through the motions because it probably feels good to have something to hold on to to help get them out of the situation. Yet at the same time, as we said earlier, we see that the Lord of Light has real power in the series. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's why these guys get so worked up say say that this sacrifice works and the storm clears and they're Mm. on their way i mean you've got some devout people for a while so yeah and they've definitely seen stuff happen in the meantime god that's so weird we give you now four evil men with glad odds and drew show us the way to winterfell he was dead the weeping boy screamed as the flames licked up his legs. We found him dead, please. We was hungry. The fires reached his balls as the hair around his cock began to burn. His pleading dissolved into one long wordless shriek. I feel bad. Yeah, that'll get you. Things are things are dire. Things don't seem to be necessarily... If you're going to read the Winds of Winter chapter, things sort of look like they're looking up, but really when you zoom out... They don't. A couple so, lifelines. Yeah, this is going to be... Um, Winds of Winter is going to be fun. That it could is. be the end of every single one of our <laughs> podcast episodes. Let's change our Twitter, our social bios weeks. to that. Just It's been Winds of Win- the Winds of Winter for over a year. In let's all caps. Do, let's do the Winds of Winter. What would you say? It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should go back to Born in 1989. Okay. But that's just me. Um, Question. So you told me you don't think the sacrifices are real, like they're not working, right? Well, I don't—I think—I liked what somebody said, and I look flipping through to try to find it, about how to make—in order for it to be real, like, it has to be an actual sacrifice. This isn't really a sacrifice for just, them. Okay. Even These though they all were, chanted. Even though they all chanted, they're just going through the motions. God, so many know? stipulations with religion. you got to really need it, huh? <laughs> Gosh. Okay. Um, in the werewood tree. That we oh, talked about yeah, a lot we in the even last chapter. Oh, yeah, haven't talked about that. In the, or rather, in the last time we uh, talked about this. Yeah. Do you think that it is blood or sap that bleeds out of the werewood's eyes? I don't think it... I want to say that it doesn't matter necessarily. Like, if it's actual blood or if it represents blood or if it's just creepy like that. Mm. Obviously, there's a lot going on with the werewoods that we don't understand. And that we don't see, like we really haven't seen play out. Sure, yeah. And so if it really is blood, like where is that coming from? Who is it coming from? It's like a durian fruit, you know, that grows meat. Yeah. What is that? What is that? And what does it mean? What's that other thing you're telling me about that vegan that's not, you can't eat if you're vegan? Oh, figs. Figs. I think it is because bees bees. die inside of them. Different, but similar. Different, but a cool fact. Yeah, (laughs) definitely a fact. (laughs) In the middle. Um. I think it kind of comes down to like how Bran and Bloodraven and the werewoods and all of those kind of things are connected. Whether that is there's some sort of human life forms that are in that are these seers that are inside of all these different werewoods, or if it's one entity coming from one to the other to look at things, or if it's just like a natural phenomenon with these types of trees, which is why they became worshipped or whatever along the way. Yeah. I don't really necessarily know the answer to that. I agree. I think of most, or rather all, 
I think of all life like that as this natural phenomenon that's, uh, how'd you put it, growing out of like one thing, growing out of one thing. That's how I see everything. Even the uh, the kind of quartz crystals, mm-hmm. gem clusters beneath the surface of the earth. Mm-hmm. It's like this energy output from the planet that we're on, this kind of weird growth. I'm going to take a, a lift. Okay. This kind of weird growth of energy that the planet's spitting out. That eventually leads to complex individuals like ourselves that are talking into microphones. Mm-hmm. And so oh, sure. yeah. a weirwood tree being that one of the being one of the strangest right now in the story. I think it would be a cool little twist if it did have something like a a hybrid life form. Kind of so, like part of the ecosystem's evolving ness. Right, but having being a, a surviving ancestor of ancient plants that were more of a hybrid between a sort of plant animal okay, state. Got it. Yeah. Got like it. you said, I don't think it really matters much whether it's blood or sap. I think it's definitely this weird looking sap. But what if they were organically different, mm-hmm. strangely fleshy or I don't know, imbued with other kind of meat like properties. Right. It'd be weird. I mean it's definitely Gives people, I mean, Asha, let me read the passage because it's kind of beautiful the way she talks about it. Um, It's only sap, she told herself, the red sap that flows inside these werewoods. But her eyes were unconvinced. Seeing was believing and what they saw was frozen blood. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's hard to, when you see it physically manifested in a way that you think it's being physically manifested, it's really hard to kind of see it as something different but yeah i agree with you that like whether it's actually physical blood or if it's just kind of the sap of the tree doesn't really matter it's kind of what it represents that yeah, matters and more it's more about the werewoods themselves and exactly. the, te- the technology that governs them and, and whether the or not mystery. they're like a focusing a tool of that power or whether they're just a uh, an output of that of that tool you know exactly just nodes that have found their way in places but I'm imagining an, an underground network, a planetary underground network of all these different forms of energy that we don't really know about. And the werewoods being, like I said, like an ancestor or a leftover from some crazy overgrown ancient time before there was actually even animal life forms mm-hmm. stalking around the planet. Absolutely. And now they've been anthropomorphized and uh, worshipped in some cases and forgotten in most cases and still remaining in strange, oddly connected places Mm -hmm. and then you have technology like glass candles do you think we're ever really gonna know how all those i mean i know we've got a lot to learn Mm, about how blood raven works i do think so you think about uh in harry potter how uh tom riddle ends up looking like a snake and we don't have any passages of him going to the barber and be like, "Make take a little bit off the top. <laughs> Give me, I want to be bald. I would he, have he, liked that. He was a gorgeous young man. Yeah. That was part of his charm. That's how he became so influential, or at least part of how he became so influential. It was one of his tools. Mm-hmm. And there was moments within his character where he would, his uh, sort of charisma and his presence would leave his beautiful face and it would reveal a desperation within his humanity. Like probably a, a lot of we've seen in this chapter that was repulsive and not beautiful and not charming and eventually through enough of evil activity outside of the norm his physical appearance started to change Mm -hmm. and he became the snake-like flat-faced tom riddle and he 
looked that way before he was resurrected. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the prosp- or the um, outcome of being brought back from that small baby form. He was always like that after he started creating the Horcruxes. That being a branch of magic that we don't really understand, and the effects of that being something that are equally unexplored because at that point, the idea of making more than one Horcrux was so unheard of, let alone one, but he made right, seven. right. But the author didn't really go much into that technology at all, nor did she go much into, like I said, why Tom Riddle looks that way. But I think that it's easy to infer that he was pushing the edges of where magic was at the time and that he was so bad that magic, just like the wand lore and how those two cores talk to each other and how eventually the Elder Wand um, chose who it was loyal to, all being a little bit wiggly, but speaking to a larger piece of mystery behind the magic that the ministry should be exploring at the time and that they probably will within the decades to come. And with these people involved, we'll probably get further into it. It just, I think for me, was a succinct, real world, believable example of things that are happening Mm -hmm. even though we're magical and we know all this stuff there's still stuff that's left to be figured out and here's here's me giving you something the reader something that's very obvious that's weird that you can sort of put the pieces together just like i did and so i think that we will have enough weird stuff just like the shadow baby and uh the way that vic's hands come back and the the dream the um, um the forsaken that's been released as a sample. Yep. I think that we're going to get enough stuff to be able to connect the dots. And so for now, when we're in that state, it's fun for me to sort of theorize about how the werewoods are linked together, what they're made out of, what the what, what the sap is, mm-hmm. whether they're focusing instruments or whether they're outputs of the power, whether they have anything to do with it, whether they're connected with the same sort of same style of architecture that like the glass candles work on. All that stuff I feel like is really fun to speculate on because it will we'll sort of understand it later. But it seems like really good worlds that are built end up sharing properties with each other. So I like finding the mysterious examples that they all share. It's like collecting all the dots before we have the connected connective tissue. Yeah, exactly. Along the way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we will get the answer, just maybe not directly is what I'm trying to say. Fair. Yeah. That's fair. I like that we kind of get the werewood thrown into this. I mean, we're in the north, obviously, so things like that are going to be a little bit more likely to happen than somewhere else. But it's just one of those cool reminders of that broader, deeper magic that's at play that we're not thinking about. A brilliant placement of it, too. Mm -hmm. I love that it's going to be there to watch over the battle like it was always supposed to be or something. I know. And you think about this as a place where people used to croft. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) (laughs) uh, someone who farmed croft lived here. And now this and what's now going the, down that's here. And now that's tree. It's like, this is, all, this is the most important thing that's probably ever happened here is what I'm trying to say. I doubt that there's a lot of need to be looking through the subconscious, uh, connected, rather consciousness of Planetos for anything other than what might be going down here. Right. So that's going to be cool. As we kind of said at the top of the episode, this whole chapter is just kind of has that vibe, that creepy, desperate, cold, sad stressful, magical <laughs> vibe and pulling pulling the werewood reference in at the beginning only adds to kind of the depth of that there. So I think we said this at the end of the last episode and we'll probably say this at the end of the next couple episodes, but if you haven't actually read this chapter, there's just a lot of really beautiful and creepy 
as we said, we kind of gasped a lot along the way, imagery and writing in this in this chapter. So, I uh, owns time. Should we think about what we want to do? I've got a couple that I'm kind of thinking about, but yep, it's hard to choose. You can choose as many as you want. I know. I know that that's your vibe, but I kind of <laughs> like to try to do one. That makes sense. <laughs> I don't want to jump on your on your thing. I have um, one. Okay. Just one. Whoa, okay. Unhand me, sir. Every time Sug spoke to her, it left her yearning for her axes. Asha was as good a finger dancer as any man on the aisles and had ten fingers to prove it. If only I could dance with this one. Some men had faces that cried out for a beard. Sir Clayton's face cried out for an axe between the eyes. That was... So many layers. So awesome. And <laughs> that's another um, thing I wanted... I meant to bring up as we're kind of talking about religion and... Um, what actually beards helping with your religious? No, pursuits? what actually is or isn't going to happen? What actually will or will not come true? When she she prays to the drowned god for a small axe, and it says the drowned god did not answer. He seldom did. That was the trouble with gods. And just thinking about like Victorian, now he's got both the Lord of Light and the drowned god behind oh, yeah. him. And kind next of, chapter, baby. Yeah, what that's going to look like. So that's next chapter. Um, put a pin in that. My own is going to. Go to Justin Massey, our boy Justin, who, in the midst of all the arguing about what they should and shouldn't do as they're eating their meager rations, he says, Your courage is admirable, Lord Karstark. Or not admirable. But courage will not breach the walls of Winterfell. How do you mean to take the castle, pray, with snowballs? (laughs) So, own to his um, wit there, which I thought was really good. Yeah, I liked his attitude, even though, like I said, there was so much desperation around him. I, w- I wonder what the cause of that was. I guess we'll know more whenever he maybe meets his end. Yeah, potentially. potentially. We'll see. Next chapter is Vic 1. He's back, but he has his own point of view. I'm really so he's excited. Really upgraded in this series. Now that we got that, uh, what a great segue I made without even remembering yeah. that we were doing a Victorian chapter right. next. <laughs> So if you want to check out the reading order and see where we're at, you can go to afeastwithdragons.com. Like you said, Victorian 1, that's number 109 in our reading order. You can catch up. You can read ahead if you'd like. But you can find that at afeastwithdragons.com. You send its owns for that chapter and others. Just write your favorite moment. Something's funny, something's serious, something that is foreboding. Whatever matches your personality, this is your chance to shine. Contact to GameOfOwns.com if you want to email it, or you can post it to any of our social media pages, at GameOfOwns is what most of them are, and we'll see them. That'd be cool. Read them, laugh at them, retweet them. One last thing is, if you haven't heard yet, we've revamped our Patreon. We've got a couple different things up there if you want to give that a look-see. We have a squad of ice and fire for longtime listeners of the show will remember that was the Patreon feature in the past where Zach and I just kind of talk about whatever random stuff we want to talk about. And then Zach also does a solo read starting from book one, chapter one, going through the series chapter by chapter. Just talking about them to myself, to mm-hmm. you, not not just reading the chapters out loud. It's really fun. Yeah, it's really awesome. So if you want to check out our Patreon, you can find it at patreon.com slash goo. And I think our next squadcast, we're going to be recording a Song of Ice and Fire Christmas carols live and on the spot. We're going to freestyle them. Yeah, that's, that's the plan. We might release an album, so check that out. But if you want to see how the sauce gets made, go hang out there. Go to patreon.com slash you and check it out. Thanks guys for listening. Hope everyone is uh, enjoying a less creepy... Wait, I'm not going to say that. Thanks everybody for listening. <laughs> 
And we'll be back pretty soon. Enjoy your holiday.